Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we'll hear from Pastor Bill Wilson on Refining Fire. Now here is Pastor Bill. Well, thanks to Pastor Heather Lewandowski, who three weeks ago took us through a portion of Malachi. Thanks to Pastor Lee McLeod, who took us through a portion of Malachi. And thanks to Joy Wilson, who at 5.30 in the morning last week, a little over 164 or 68 hours ago, heard the voice of her husband, who could barely speak, say to her, I can't speak. And she said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, you're going to speak. She said, I'm what? I said, you're going to speak. My notes are on my desk downstairs, and I'll be praying for you. And some of you were hoping I'd still be in bed today and that she'd be back today to speak for a second Sunday. I was kind of thinking that all week long, but um, thanks, Joy. She did an incredible job speaking about marriage and being a part of this great series called Future. I wonder what God's future is for you. I wonder what he has in store for each of us that are here this morning. Sometimes when you're young, you kind of plan it all out and then As you get older, you look back and see how it wasn't quite what you thought it was going to be in some ways. And when you follow the Lord, you discover it's a lot better than you thought it was going to be. So 20 years ago today, this very day, I became a grandfather for the first time. Standing in that old hospital in Newburgh, which now is, I think, a convalescent home for some, no longer the main hospital, but... The ceilings, I remember, were real low. And Rick Sharon and I stood in the hallway as we waited for the announcement, whether it was a boy or girl. And when we heard that it was a boy, Luke Braden Wilson was born, and today he's 20 years old. It's pretty exciting. It makes me think, I wonder what his future is going to be. I wonder if his future is going to surprise him in many ways. I wonder uh, what God has in store for him. Uh, If you're like I am, none of us want this morning to live just a mundane life. I mean, we don't mind not having a lot of stress and strain and a lot of major decisions from time to time, but we want our lives to be meaningful, right? Don't you? I was was thinking about that. You want your life to be meaningful, and you want your life to be significant, there, there, is, there is this tension that goes on in our lives, of, of, uh, especially when we're younger, of wanting to be successful. And, and then there is this, this moment of, uh, of achievement, perhaps, and then you just say, I want my life to really count. I would, if we took a survey this morning amongst all of those who are here and those of you watching online this morning, and I got to watch online for three Sundays in a row, by the way, uh, two uh, intended and one non-intended, but that's the way it worked out, uh, is you want your life to really make a difference. And the book of Malachi really sets us up for a life of blessing. Some of you have never read the book of Malachi perhaps before. Others of you have. Maybe you've never quite seen it from this angle on the camera, but let me just say that there are some tremendous insights to your future. And this morning, I want to talk about four things 
that I believe are very important that you can activate in your life that will help you as you move forward, knowing that your life is not just uh, substandard, but it's supernatural, that you are living a, the best life that God had in store for you. And I'm going to bring you to the uh, third chapter. Just, just a note that Malachi, in his prophetic word, is a minor prophet, but there's nothing minor about what he has to say. But Malachi is setting the people up for the first coming of Jesus. We'll see that this morning when we read in chapter 3. And for us today, Jesus has come. We celebrated his birth just a couple of months ago. And now we're looking at this in recognizing that Jesus is coming again. I'm going to say that one more time, and I want all of you to say amen. Jesus is coming again. Now, that's a theme that I heard all of my life. There were probably three or four themes that preachers and my pastors and my dad would preach on, and one of them was the second coming of Christ. It seems today that perhaps we have lost sight of this very significant uh, anchor th theory, not theory, but doctrine, fundamental truth of faith in Scripture. And when you read through Malachi, you recognize that it's preparing the first generation of Malachi to recognize that generation of Christ's first coming for us today, the second coming. It's a remarkable similarity in what is happening in Malachi's day, and as Joyce said last week, what's happening today. Are you ready to read? Let's all stand together, shall we? And I, I note that the PowerPoint will have most of my scripture passage, and I realize in giving them the notes, I left off a verse that I want to read this morning, so I'll add verse 5. Verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That has some uh, prophetic words there. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, saying the, Lord's of, the Lord of heaven's armies. But who, verse 2, but who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or strong, uh, like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. Now I want to I add verse Number five here, so I will come near to you for, for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppose the widows, the faithless, the fatherless, and the deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. So how do you live as a, a supernatural life instead of a superficial life? How, how can God take you into a, a deeper place 
in your experience today? How can he take us as a body of believers into a deeper place than where we've been before? Here's the, here's the truth that you see in this text. The, 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 in Micah's, Malachi's day, I should say, there was a form of religious practice that had become quite normal. However, it, it lacked something, and that was it lacked the power of God, okay? It, it was missing the very power of God. So there was a superficial religious ritual of weekly and monthly gatherings and annual gatherings amongst the people of God. However, however, they had moved away from really having an intense experience with him. And what you see in the book of Malachi is the people of God ask a lot of stupid and silly questions. Like, like God, don't you love us anymore? Or like, I was at the altar weeping and you didn't hear my prayer. They were not really, they were more than uh, silly questions. They were sarcastic questions. They didn't even know their own need. It's a, a tragic place to be in life when you don't realize what you need from God and what you need in your life. Like many people today, their greatest need is to see their need. When, when I was a kid, I, you know, I grew up in a pastor's home, and one of the things that there was about four or five of us when we get together, I, I'm talking like four and five years old, we would go out like some of you perhaps did, and we would play church. Anybody ever play church as a child? Sure. So back when I was a kid, we'd get a couple of uh, uh, fruit crates made out of wood, little thin pieces of wood, and we'd stack them on top. And then we would, we would argue over who got to do the preaching, who got to lead the song, and most of all, who got to receive the offering. <laughs> and we put out a... Uh, uh, two by six on some uh, blocks, and that was the pews. And we would take turns playing church. Um, I'm sure our families, our parents would look out the window in the kitchen, and isn't it so cute our kids are playing church? Do you know that in those services, no one ever got saved? <laughs> I don't remember anybody ever being healed. I don't remember anybody's life actually being transformed. I don't remember any of the music being that stellar. All I do remember is the result of those gatherings was a lot of fights and arguments over who got to do what and when it would be done. Malachi is writing prophetically speaking to the people of God. And he's speaking to us today is that we cannot live in a superficial life. We cannot live a life that doesn't have depth. Do we want a spiritual undertaking in our lives? Do we want to be shallow or deep in the Lord? And he's calling us to a deepness. Look at verse 2 again. For he will be like a blazing fire. The New Living Translation of the version that we're reading this morning from Another more familiar, perhaps, refining fire. That's the title of the, the message this morning. Refining fire that refines metal. For he will be like a blazing fire. A blazing fire. He is setting us up to understand 
the transformation, peace. He's talking to us about how God changes us and makes our lives significant. It's called refining fire. God is like a refining fire. He doesn't leave us in the condition he finds us. He comes to work in our lives and to shape us. And he uses this picture that everybody was familiar with in that moment when they received this word of how God is purifying your life and purifying my life to be honorable to him. So um, I uh, flew... uh, I think it's probably 12, 13, 14, 15 days ago to uh, Springfield, Missouri to honor the passing of our general superintendent, former general superintendent, uh, Dr. Wood, George Wood. And uh, since I represent Oregon and represent the Northwest for the Assemblies of God, it was my responsibility but my honor to be able to go. So I'm not sure, for those of you who don't do a lot of flying, maybe this isn't something you consider, but those of us who fly frequently, we like to get good seats, and we love the fact nobody sits in our row. Are you with me so far? So I went on and checked in, and I checked my row, and to my delight, there was nobody sitting next to me or next to the window, which meant that although I was not paying first-class seat tickets, I had first-class room, all to myself. Now, I'm a very uh, oriented person to people. I love talking with people, as you know. But there are moments, come with me now, there are moments when you'd like to be on your own, right? Are you telling, am I talking to anybody here? Yeah. In fact, some of that's the reason some of you aren't in the building today. You just want to be on your own. So I went and sat down. The plane was filling up pretty well. And this is what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the flight attendant to say, ladies and gentlemen, we are closing the door. Uh, Because when they say that, I know nobody else is getting on the plane. And so I'm, I'm looking around. I'm looking at my watch. I'm thinking, this is the time. It's ready. You know what's coming. You know what's coming, don't you? You know what's happening here. I am beginning to really think that I'm going to sit by myself from here to Denver on a flight by myself. And just before the flight attendant made the announcement that the doors would be closed and we would prepare ourselves to depart, a young man and a young woman stopped in my aisle and they looked down at me and they said, sir, I think these two seats are ours. Now, you know what I thought about saying. (laughs) Nope. I checked on the flight, and the seats were empty, and nobody can have them. And so I stood up, and I let them in. The young lady went to the window. The young man sat next to me, and Pastor Bill sat in the aisle seat. And now what does Pastor Bill do? Hey, my name's Bill. How are you? I said, are you on your way uh, traveling somewhere? Are you from Portland? They said, well, no, we live in North Dakota. Now, people live in North Dakota are real people. I'm going to just tell you right now. They're, they're tough folk, especially in the wintertime. 
I'm Bill, this is Levi, this is Destiny. I said, uh, oh, you, he said, no, I was here for work. I work for a company. We were here doing some research for Honeywell, and my wife has never been to Portland before, and she wanted to come. And I said, well, what did you think? Well, she said, um, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. The, she said, the, the uh, landscape and the terrain is beautiful. And then she went on to describe what we all have experienced in the last few years in Portland downtown. And uh, we talked about a restaurant they went to and, and on and on. Uh, it was quite uh, interesting for a few moments. And then they asked the question, and what do you do? <laughs> now, I, I, I've tried to read the crowd in how I respond. And generally, I will say something that helps people understand who my role is and, and a little bit about what I do. And I'll use terms that aren't necessarily the titles that have been given me, to me, but I, I feel like people get, get it. And I said, well, I'm like a bishop for the state of Oregon. To which Levi said, oh, are you Mormon? And I said, no, I'm like a, a pastor over pastors for the state of Oregon and explained a little bit of that. That led to a conversation that I will never forget. And I will never forget what it encountered in those few moments. And the realization that sometimes God puts us in places that we're not expecting when we get out of bed for significant conversations. For he will be like a blazing fire, a refining fire. There are four components I want to give you this morning. You can write them down if you'd like that I think help us experience the transformation in our lives by the power of God's fire at work. Number one, in order for me to experience my life moving to significance and meaning, I've got to receive the grace of God. I've got to receive the grace of God. Look at verse one, and here's the text in verse one. It says, look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now, Malachi is talking here prophetically about John the Baptist. Do you remember who John the Baptist was? The cousin of Jesus, the, the son of Elizabeth, whose purpose in life was to declare that Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, was coming. And he is coming for a reason. He's coming to announce uh, or present to us the grace of God in a way that people had never experienced before, and we just celebrated a few moments ago. In verse one it says, then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. What's he talking about here? In the Old Testament, as you know, David had a plan for a temple. His son Solomon builds a physical being, place, structure uh, for the temple, the presence of God to reside. That's the Old Testament picture. It is translated into the New Testament. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, 
we, uh, we become collectively the temple of God. And in verse, or chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul shifts that to individually becoming the temple of God. So we now become the temple of God. It says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And you are not your own. You were brought, brought, bought with, uh, at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So the messenger comes with the covenant message that he's going to bring forgiveness and cleansing for your life. And in order for you to experience transformation and significance and live in what I call the supernatural life, we begin by receiving the grace of God. And for some of us, we've never considered perhaps the grace of God before. But again, the blood covenant we just celebrated is a picture of the work of the cross, and it's that which we receive into our lives. So when I move from the mundane to the meaningful, when I move from uh, the status quo to a supernatural life, when, I, when my life is transformed, it is transformed when I receive the grace of God, the unmerited favor into my life. We read about this some months ago in Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And when I get that, when I receive that, listen, I'm talking to somebody this morning who needs to be reminded of the forgiveness of God and the grace of God that's at work in your life. It transforms us. Even the prophet Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah 31 when he says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, which means a new testament, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Uh, and then he goes on to say, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. Hallelujah. I want you to think about the worst thing you've ever done. It's held you back. It sometimes captivates you and paralyzes you from going on. And God says, listen, I have come, and if you receive my grace, that chain can be broken in your life. You can move on, and your life can be significant. It can be supernatural. This means every sin, every failure, every mess up in my life can be transformed by the forgiveness of Christ, and I move from mess up to being a blessed person in my life. That's what Malachi is saying. It's not a form of religion. He's saying that's, that's been a mistake. You've gone through the routine. Now I'm bringing you to a real Savior. And he's saying if you receive the grace of God, is this making sense to you? If I'm receiving the grace of God, Pastor Jason, then my life becomes significant. My story is worth telling. So when I was in college for two years, part of the way I got through college was I was what we would call a custodian. And I was hired at the college my freshman year at the age of 18 years old to manage a building called Swanson Hall. The mother of one of the former pastors here, Mae Swanson, Jim Swanson was the pastor. His mother was one of our professors, and she for years was the dean of women at the, at the college. And they named a building after her which housed students 
as well as the lower level of the building were all the offices of the professors, including the president of the college. I was hired to vacuum the hallways and clean all of the professors' offices. I was given strict instructions to never look at anything on their desks. I was told to clean the blinds, which I hated doing, but I was responsible for that. Take out all the trash, vacuum every four days or five days a week, every afternoon. I was also given the privilege of walking into the president's office, which was huge in my mind. And had, he had his own private bathroom. And uh, this was the day when linoleum was very popular, floor covering, but they had stepped it up and they put indoor-outdoor carpet in the bathroom. And so I was doing what I was supposed to do, and that was to clean with these strong chemicals the president's bathroom when somehow a clumsy 18-year-old boy spilt some of the cleaner on the carpet. And when I grabbed some rags to clean up the carpet, the carpet disintegrated, which tells you what kind of cleaning materials I was using, right? Toxic for sure. And I looked down and this beautiful carpet had big holes where the cleaner had burned the holes in the president's office. What do you do? You can't cover it up. So I went to my supervisor and I explained to him what had happened. And he said, well, we'll repair it. Don't worry about it. Um, you just got to be more careful, Wilson, in how you clean the president's office. And I said, man, it was a total accident. I didn't mean to do it. I was not being distracted. It just, there was so much fluid in that jar. It just, and he said, we'll take care of it. For weeks, every day when I cleaned the president's office, those holes will burn into that carpet were there. I saw my sin before me every time I went in there. And Dr. Burnett, who was the president of the college from time to time, would just look at me. He never said one word. He just would walk down the aisle and he would look. And he saw me with that vacuum cleaner and with those cleaning supplies and he'd just stare at me and then walk on. Never said a word. Finally, he planned a trip to Africa. And while he was gone on Africa, my sins were redeemed. Some fine man by the name of Don Anderson went in there, ripped out all that carpet, put in brand new carpet, and I walked in there one day and I looked and said, my sins have been redeemed. I have experienced the grace of my employer and the president of our university. It looks fantastic. You would never know that there had been a problem. Until one day, when I was cleaning the president's office, I went into the bathroom and carefully spilled that same cleaner on the new carpet a second time. This time it was worse than the first time. It could not be hid for sure. I learned a valuable lesson during that season of my life with cleaner and the forgiveness of God. I looked down as I spilled that big puddle of cleaner on that brand new laid carpet and saw the hole that was in that carpet and I couldn't get it out and I didn't even feel like telling my supervisor but I ended up telling him. Shortly after that I was transferred to another job. 
You'll never know the grace of God in your life until you recognize that he takes the mess-ups in your life and turns them around. And you see it in your attitude. You see it in your actions. You see it in your appetites. You see it in your aspirations that the grace of God, in order for us to live a life of significance, we must move to a place of receiving the grace of God. And all that stuff of memories and guilt that haunts you from day to day, I'm going to tell you right now, leave it at the cross and move on. Your future can be bright in the Lord Jesus Christ because your, your mess-ups become testimonies of God's grace. And that's what Malachi is saying to us here. He's saying, then the Lord you are, you are seeking will suddenly come into this temple. He goes on to say in this wonderful text that there's another truth that we can learn from. We must recognize, here's the second thing you could write down, recognize the goal of God. Recognize the goal of God. Look at verse 2. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. God has a purpose. It is uh, it is a life of significance and supernatural living for you. And you always need to keep that in mind. Not only do you receive the grace of God, but you recognize the goal of God is to do a work in your life that you become a testimony of his grace and you become a testimony of significance. His goal is to take you, to use you in a great way. The Holy Spirit is going to work on you. He's going to refine you. He might have to refine you with regards to being lazy. He may have to refine you about your temper or your anger issues. He may have to uh, refine you with regards to lust or hatred or bitterness or unbelief or criticism. All of these natural tendencies that come out in our lives when the pressure and stress is on. He is the one who comes. His goal is to transform all of that. And part of that is for us to recognize God's goal. His goal is not to make you happy. Now, we're glad when he does. And many times he does make us happy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. His goal is not just to, to uh, make you healthy. And we do believe that. His goal really is to make you holy. And what does that mean? His goal is to make us like we are like Jesus. To reflect the work of God. And he is at work in us. Malachi 3.2 in the New International Version says, For he will be like a refining fire. Uh, about 48 hours ago, I stood right here. And uh, we honored uh, a gentleman that we have spoken briefly about, Carl Meyer, Sherry Krigrud's dad. It's very interesting to me to uh, be a part of a, a memorial service as a pastor because you are trying to read the crowd, read the, the flow of a gathering, and so on. And I was quite taken when um, the granddaughter, Jennifer, and then Carol, the youngest daughter, and Sherry both shared. Carol said something very interesting at the beginning. She said, and there were a lot of nice things that were said, but she said, I remember my dad when he wouldn't hug me and when he wouldn't tell me he loved me, and he seemed to be so busy and somewhat... And she went on with some other descriptions that were not the Carl that I had known. 
But when she was a child, Carl wasn't serving the Lord. And her, his wife, Lois, prayed for his salvation for 18 years. And then she said, but that was before Jesus. And then she began to describe the dad that we all knew, Carl Meyer. See, God's goal in your life is to transform you from what you once were to what he wants you to be. And when you see before your eyes a child stand and say, I remember when my dad was this, but now he's this. I remember when my dad was an alcoholic and now he is a loving father. I remember my dad was lazy and never had a kind word to say and now he works hard and he loves us. What happened? The transformation of a man's life when he not only received the grace of God, but he recognized the goal of God was to take his life and not just be successful, but move it to be significant. And somewhere in the early years of his life, his motivation was to be a success. And when he came to Christ, there began a shift. I don't want to just be successful, and he was quite successful. I want to be significant. Psalm 66.10, For you, O Lord, test us, you refine us like silver. Third thought, just to put down quickly, rest in the goodness of God. Malachi 3.3, He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. Now, what is that all about? He's burning out the stuff. Why? Because he's a good God. He wants to burn out the stuff that is destroying and distracting your life. Another rendering says he will sit as a refiner and purifier. And at times, I want you to know, I don't like it. It doesn't feel all that exciting. But stay the course and let God work out his good work in you. He is a good God. That is a revelation in the Old Testament that most of the world's gods, they, they never knew God to be good. And when he declared that in the scriptures, and we read it over and over again, we should never forget God is at work and he's doing a good work in us. I was contacted by a young man this week. He's not so young anymore. His name was Kevin. I still remember him meeting him in 1988 at our first, one of our first men's uh, retreats that we did when I came back in those years so many years ago. And when I met him, I asked myself this question. What in the world happened to him? Where did he come from? He's quite a, he's quite a piece of work. Pastors do say that about people from time to time. Not any of you here, but uh, I said that about him. Because he, I could tell his life had been quite confused and messed up. But I saw something that was going on in his life, and I want to tell you what it was. It was the goodness of God working in this young man's life who had a story, a story much different than my story, but a story. And this outgoing, rather obnoxious, loud guy shows up, and I'm trying to figure out how he even heard about the event. And over time, God began to show his goodness in Kevin's life. Some of you know who Kevin is. He doesn't live here anymore. He and his wife have relocated in the last year to another part of the country. But he sent me a little note just this week, and he reminded me of the goodness of God. Kevin played the, the centurion in the Passion Play for many years. He was a perfect guy for it, bigger than life, 
And every time I saw him, I thought, that's true. A centurion, a man who had quite a colorful past, delivered by the goodness of God, and God was at work breaking him and cleansing him and purifying him to now that he was a trophy. And now he was a trophy. The final word I want to give you this morning about this transformation that God does based on Malachi's thoughts here is the ref- we, we reflect the glory of God. Look at verse 4. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. How do you move from superficial to supernatural? How do you move from shallowness to significance? How do you move from meaningless living, mundane living, to meaningful living? And when you begin to allow the Spirit of God to work in your life once again, and you put aside religion and start to pursue this relationship with God as Malachi outlines here, what the result is is you begin to reflect the glory of God. And people see in you something you don't see perhaps in yourself. They see Jesus. And they see that something's different about you. It's, the, it's seen in the way you work. It's the seen in the conversations you have. It's, it's seen when you stand in line and the sign says 10 items only. And you look in front and there's somebody with 25 items. It's seen how you respond with patience. It's seen how you conduct your business and the way you conduct your personal life. It's seen in so many different ways. So I look forward to sitting on that United flight, 1613, to Denver, Colorado, out of Portland. I don't normally fly United, but this time I did because of the convenience and the last-minute ticket that I needed, thinking I got two seats next to me that are empty. And just before the door was closed... There stood Levi and Destiny. Sir, I think we're sitting right next to you. And started a two-hour conversation. When they found out that I was a pastor, we began to talk. They reached down and picked up a book, Dare to Love. They began to share their story with me. A couple who met online, couple who uh, got pregnant before they were married, a couple who went to go get an abortion, a couple who lost a baby before the abortion procedure took place, a couple who became broken, broken and broken. And Levi shared, now they never met me before. I just asked a couple of questions and they began to pour out their heart And I realized in this moment, this was a God moment, Destiny began to weep. For the first time in her life, she was talking about hurt and and loss to somebody she'd never met before. And God was cleansing her of that bitter hurt deep in her life. They had recently made a commitment to follow the Lord. They had been blessed by God with three wonderful children. And now they were serving God together, following him. Their life was no longer just routine. It now was moving to significance as they had opened their heart to the refining fire of Jesus. 
And I want to suggest to us collectively and individually that God's refining us. He's burning out stuff that we've hung on to that have been perhaps religious routines. He's burning out attitudes and actions that don't bring glory to him. But it all begins when we receive the grace of God to say thank you that you love me enough that you would come and forgive me of my mess-ups and lead me to a future that is going to be blessed, a future that is going to be significant, a future that is going to change the course of my life and bless others. What a wonderful opportunity it was on that United flight to take Levi and Destiny's hand after speaking to each other for two hours on a flight, which wasn't my plan at all. I had planned to prepare a sermon for today. I got one, all right. I got one from the Lord. We took hands and I prayed a blessing over them. And when we departed our ways, he handed me his card. I sense I've sent him a little note to just say how much I appreciated those moments because God was transitioning them from a life of superficial living to a life of significance. Who knows if we'll ever meet this side of heaven? I don't know. But I do know this, is that God is at work and he's going to use those moments to transform all of our lives because he is a refining fire. Amen. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold. Pure to be holy set apart for you my master ready to do your will purify my heart oh purify my heart and cleanse me from within and make me Holy, purify my heart, cleanse me from my sin, deep within, refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to
actually singing a prayer, and that's what we've been singing, a song that's been around for many years, Refiner's Fire. My one heart's, my heart's one desire is to let God work in and through us and burn out the stuff. And if you made that your prayer today and you surrendered your life to Christ and accepted the forgiveness of God and His grace, hey, listen, your future's bright. I can't wait to hear the rest of the story. How about you? Father, thank you today for these few moments together, and we pray your blessing now upon each who've come, those who've made confessions of their faith by simply saying, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and make me the person you want me to be. Lord, I pray that they will live that out now in a new way. And we thank you, Lord. Whatever our story is, turn it into a testimony of your great work, your refining fire. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.